Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. The shocking and grisly murders of four Idaho college students suddenly stabbed to death at their rental home just yards from campus has the typically tranquil community and also the country on edge. And joining us now to discuss this terrible and puzzling case with the killer or killers still at large is Lieutenant Steve Rogers. He is a retired military officer assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. He was also a lieutenant at the Nutley, New Jersey Police Department. Steve, great to have you here on such an important topic. Uh, My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. You know, it is amazing that here this happened on November 13th at their rental home in Moscow, Idaho, as I mentioned, very close to campus, literally right there on the edge of campus. They're all students there at the University of Idaho. And yet here it is, you know, quite a bit later, at least several weeks later now, and still unsolved. What's your reaction? Well, the lab tests, which were very, very critical, failed to identify the killer. So they didn't go anywhere with that. They do believe through their criminal profilers, their FBI profilers, that the killer was very comfortable with using a knife and probably comfortable around blood. And now most recently, you have the police, they seize five cars, and they're going to be doing a lot of forensics on those cars. But I'll tell you, Rita, what I'm really concerned about now is this killer, no doubt, is watching the news and probably enjoys the attention, if you will. And I'm just hoping and praying that this guy doesn't strike again. That's been on my mind for quite a while, because with all this publicity and one problem I see surfacing is that there are a lot of people coming to that microphone. Today, a prosecuting attorney went to the microphone. You have the police chief, you have the FBI. They've got to clamp down on giving out information, and they've got to have one spokesperson because there's just too much, too much information going out. And as I said, the killer's watching, and who knows what he or she is absorbing and if it's really encouraging them to go out again. Which is really scary. How often does that happen to in a case, obviously, as gruesome as this and where somebody kills, is as emboldened enough to kill four college students, it appears, as they were sleeping? Is it likely this could happen again, sadly? Well, anything's likely. I remember the D.C. snipers. I was in Washington at that time, and there was a lot of publicity, and they went out and still continued their rash of killing people. Then you had what they call, I believe it was the zebra investigation way back many decades ago. So it has happened. But as this case continues to move on, like I said, not only is the public curious, but the killer's curious. So they got to be real careful what they put out, the timing of putting this stuff out, and then hopefully they'll catch this person sooner rather than later. And Steve, one of the things I noticed, too, is that they also told students you can go to class remotely or you can come back to campus after the Thanksgiving break. A number of them, actually quite a bit, actually came back to campus. Is that a good thing? Could that maybe, you know, get the criminal, the killer potentially to get a little comfortable? So could police, you know, zoom in on them? Or is that also a dangerous situation? I think it's dangerous because the police can't be everywhere. I really got concerned about that. I know we don't want a killer to hold us hostage, but in this case, he already acted or she already acted. And Rita, remember, correct me if I'm wrong, this occurred in a house off campus. So who says this killer is not waiting off campus if, in fact, he or she would want to target that school again? 
We don't know that. They could be miles from there now thinking about committing this act somewhere else. So I think it's kind of a dangerous thing at this point. I would have probably said, look, the holidays are coming. Stay home. Give us a little bit more time so we could track this killer down. And indeed, as you point out, it was like a rental home that was like just on the cusp of campus. Again, they're all students at the university there. You bring up a great point. You also use the phrase he or she. Do you think it's a guy? Do you think it's a gal from your experience? Do you think there is maybe a killer or is this the work of one person? Well, those are great questions and we don't know, right? That's why I don't count out anything. A lot of people say it's he. A lot of people are counting out that there were more involved. I just don't know. That's why I say the police have to be real careful on how they identify the killer. I think the FBI profiler talked about it was a person who was comfortable with a knife, with blood. I don't know if I would have released that information because, you know, you're letting the killer know you may be getting closer or closer to him or her, or you may be so far off track, maybe, you know, the killer may think, let me do this again. So I think the police should be given out as much information as they could, but not at all compromising the investigation and giving out critical information. Now, I don't have a problem, Rita, with the cops sitting down with the families of the victims and giving them all the information that they can, again, without compromising the investigation. But of course, the family members would have to really be told, you can't share this with anybody. And that's what I used to do on investigations, because they look at the crime victims, they need to know what's going on. And I'm sure parents would cooperate without a doubt with the police. Yeah, 1,000%. Of course, they want answers, as the whole community does and the whole country does. One of the things they've brought out, Steve, is, as you point out, this knife. It's a K-bar knife, a combat-style knife, sort of like a Rambo knife, if you will, like you used to see Sylvester Stallone using all his Rambo films, you know, very, very sort of sharp military grade. What does that say to you about the person who did this, if indeed that's correct? Because that is what police have put out, and they haven't refuted that. Well, it tells me that they certainly, as the FBI profiler said, was comfortable in using a knife. Not everyone's comfortable in using a knife to kill someone. They're going to face close-range murder. They're going to see a lot of blood you know, spilling all over the place. So it tells me that they were probably used to using such a knife, which tells me it could be a hunter someone that's used to hunting. And then again, Rita, another thing that goes through my mind, and we've seen it over and over again, where a lot of people see movies, look at violence, violence is glorified, and there's a possibility that this person saw a violent movie with that type of knife and decided, well, you know what, this is what I'll do. So I don't count anything out. That's why I would be very careful if I was on the police department not to eliminate anything, to make sure, like, you know, you're going to investigate everything, not give the killer any tips as you get out information. But that's what I make of it. You know, it's interesting. That's a great point that it could have been somebody who was inspired by something that they saw. I mean, I don't think even people are talking that way. Why do you believe that? Because people are affected by often what they see in movies and on TV. Well, that's right, Rita. And we've seen so many times in the past where people will see something on TV And, you know, they already have a problem. They have a mental health problem. They want to get their aggression out and they get their ideas from television. I see this with a lot of juvenile crime when I was on a police department. They see these violent movies and they want to be the actor in that movie. And they don't think about the consequences. They think about the attention they're going to get. And that's another issue. A lot of these criminals get a lot of attention and police are the ones that are giving them a lot of attention. They have to minimize these press releases. They have to minimize getting people before the camera. 
and they have to minimize any information they give out. I must tell you, and I understand that the parents are certainly tremendously affected by this, I would have asked the parents not to go on the air at all, not to let the killer see them on TV, to hear their voices, because this is what this killer may be feeding on. So I think about all these things during the course of investigation. And, you know, in the old days, you didn't have the Internet, right? In the old, old days, you didn't have TV. Things were kept pretty quiet, and the police were very successful in solving crimes. But today, it's very difficult because the technology is not helping us necessarily. It could be hurting us. That's a great point. What about also the fact, too, Steve, that we're getting mixed messages from law enforcement? What do you make of the fact that this police department first put out, everybody go back to campus, nothing to worry about? And then a few days later, they were like, maybe people should be concerned. It seems like even the police themselves aren't confident in their own investigation or at least putting that out. Well, the lack of experience, a small police department, they're probably not equipped at all to deal with these things alone. They should have, and hopefully they'll learn from this, have one public information officer and everything, every statement, everything should go through that public information officer. I also believe that the police may have had some concerns about and maybe some pressure to some degree from the college officials. I'm not saying that's fact. I'm just speculating that we have to get something out to comfort the community, to make sure that the students understand that we're on top of this, et cetera. But it doesn't work. People need facts. They need information that is credible, and all they need to know is that the police are on top of this, and the police, they have to build trust and confidence. Very good point you make. There's making that statement in the beginning of the investigation and then reversing it, that doesn't give you much confidence in the law enforcement agency. They have to be absolutely sure that what they say is going to help build confidence, not hinder it. Yeah. And also there were reports, too, that maybe there were some neighbors that still had yet to be interviewed. It was interesting because they were coming out to the media saying, no, no one's come to me yet. And they were individuals that were living almost right next door to this house. Wouldn't you think that every single neighbor, in addition to obviously anybody who may have seen something, should have been interviewed by now? Well, that's the first thing the police should do is you interview everyone in that neighborhood. You work from the crime scene and you work your way out. You make sure that you've interviewed neighbors for a particular reason. Do you have a camera in front of your house? You know, do you have video rolling during the night and day? And if, in fact, they find out that someone has a camera, well, you you seize that information, not the day of the murder or the week, but if you could get video coverage from a month back. I mean, they should have absolutely interviewed everyone in that neighborhood. Also, delivery trucks. I would be asking neighbors, well, does a company come by here and deliver packages? The mailman, the mailwoman. I mean, anybody and everything within the perimeter of that crime scene, you want to interview those people. Have they done that? I don't know, but it's a little alarming to me that we have people coming forward saying they haven't been interviewed. Yeah, especially after all this time. I mean, you would think, just as you said, that's almost police 101. Well, it is. And in fact, if they can't get to everyone, they ought to, and I hope they did, tell everyone if you have information or no information and you live within the area or you think you know something, contact us. I know they've got over a thousand tips. They're busy running down a lot of tips, but going out, ground pounding, meeting people and getting into their homes and talking to them eyeball to eyeball is extremely critical, especially within close proximity of the crime scene. One thousand percent. You also mentioned about the cars being moved, Steve. That was, I thought, interesting, too. Why do you think that's happening now? These are the vehicles associated with the individuals who had been killed, the four students that had been killed. 
Well, they're probably going to do a, a forensic analysis of, or even try to get DNA in the cars. They probably are going to look for any type of evidence, even hair follicles, anything. So they're going to scrub those cars. They may even look for fingerprints on the cars. You know, listen, the killer could have been walking around, and if, in fact, that person was barehanded or even with gloves, anything, could have touched the vehicle, hid behind a vehicle and touched it. So it's a good thing they did that. And I'm just wondering why it took so long if they got some information from somebody that that may have occurred. Again, why release that information? Well, maybe they had to because people could see the cars were going, but it should have been done sooner rather than all this time going by. Because, you know, as you know, you've been working with law enforcement officers a long time. The longer you wait to collect the evidence, the greater chance it could become contaminated. 1,000 percent. And you would think that this scene, by the way, sadly, was probably a very bloody scene. I mean, killing four people, they believe, as they were sleeping. We've heard that there was reports of blood that was coming like even into the outside. Are you surprised that so far they haven't gotten more information or at least haven't revealed it? Maybe they have more than we know, but you would think they would have had something from the scene, sadly, you know, because apparently there was a lot of blood, footprints, fingerprints, something within the house, something in the bedrooms. The one thing that I find astonishing, and I know you and I talked about this before, is the 911 call. I still haven't heard anything about that call. Somebody calls 911, a body's here or a person here is unconscious, and that was the end of it. I want to know who made the call. I'd like to know if that person who made the call went and leaned over the body to see if, in fact, the person was unconscious. You had to if you knew they were unconscious. And then you had to see knife wounds and blood, all kinds of evidence there. I have no idea if they tracked the 911 call, who made it. And I think that's something that the public may want to know because that's critically important to this investigation. Yeah, it's interesting because just as you said, if somebody was indeed stabbed to death, which is what we're hearing for these individuals, there would be a lot of blood and it would look a lot different than someone who was just unconscious if you saw that person. Well, Rita, what if the killer made the 911 call? I know it's a lot of speculation, but as an investigator, you know, these are the things I would ask. What if the killer made the 911 call? Now you got a voice print of the person, maybe. But that seems to have been lost somewhere in this investigation for whatever reason. But I just think it's astonishing that we haven't heard about that. The other thing that's astonishing is that there were two individuals who were downstairs. Apparently, this was sort of like floors, if you will, at this rental property. And on the bottom floor were two other roommates. They were left untouched. And yet those that were sort of in this middle floor, they were killed. And then the ones on the upper floor were killed. What do you make of the fact, Steve Rogers, that the ones on the bottom floor were not killed? Yeah, that's astonishing. I mean, it looks like it was a certainly a targeted killing. But then again, it's just a mystery like this whole case is. And it tells me, like I said, it may have been targeted, maybe killed one or two of the people and then just decided to go on this rampage. You know, Rita, killings like this, the killer's trying to send a message. They're sending a message, revenge or whatever, but there's a message that this killer is trying to send with regard to his or her act. But the individuals downstairs is a mystery, which leads me to the point where when the police started giving a list of individuals who are no longer suspected and publicizing that, that was wrong in my view. Everybody is a suspect. Until such time, you got the killer. And that doesn't sparge anybody. It doesn't say these people are guilty. It certainly doesn't. But you can't let the killer know that you know, well, we've eliminated all of these people and we're getting closer to you. You know, I just find it astonishing. 
Also, it's interesting, they didn't apparently hear anything, too. I mean, they could have been out. It sounds like they were out late. Some of them were out, you know, went to a food cart a number of places. But it's interesting that nobody heard anything, according to what we've heard so far publicly. Well, the questions I would have for them is, were they inebriated? Were they drunk and just fell asleep? You know, did they take anything, even meditation? One or two of them may be taken that puts them to sleep. I find that unusual, too, because there was a party. You know, these are party houses, from what I understand. I just don't get it. But as you said, maybe the police have a lot of this information. They're not releasing it. But in my view, based on what they're putting out, they're not getting to connect all these dots. That's why I say they got to be careful as to what they put out and how they put it out. Even the coroner I heard on some newscast talking about the wounds. I mean, why put that out there? You know, it certainly doesn't help the public in any way. The police need to build the confidence and trust of the public and to ensure that the public reader has so much confidence in the police that if somebody does have some information, they'll come forward. One thousand percent. And obviously every lead, you know, something you brought up a great point about going back even into the videos, too, because it may not have been even something in the 24 hours around it. It might be an unusual delivery person or maybe they saw something unusual, too, that could help lead to the clues. What about also the fact that there are reports that one of them had a stalker? Could that open the door to something here? Well, that could. That could. And, you know, that may lead you to someone else who felt that they were being stalked and maybe have seen the individual. I probably, and look, I hate to be a Monday morning quarterback because I know how I felt when people were discussing these issues. But the point is, I'm just wondering why they put that out there. I think that's information that could have been kept close to them and give it a little bit more time so they could track down any more leads regarding a stalker. But they put it right out there and it looks like apparently it went nowhere at this point, but it gives them an idea of maybe who or what they may be looking for. Do you think this case will be solved? I think it'll eventually be solved, but it'll be quite some time before it gets solved, unless something and they'll come forward. Sometimes these individuals that commit these crimes get caught in one or two ways. And the first way I shared with you earlier would be another tragedy and they would get caught. The second way is people like to talk. They could be talking to someone that look at they want glory, they want publicity, they want to feed on this stuff, because in the eyes of the killer, that killer now feels famous, like a Ted Bundy, if you will, or any other killer that we dealt with over the years. So it will be solved, but I think in the long term, not in the short term. And how sad for, of course, the families and, of course, the community and the country. It is such a tragic case and such a puzzling case and such a big concern. I think it's every parent's worst nightmare, every student's worst nightmare. And I'm sure the police are doing the best they could. Uh, Hopefully some lessons learned. And I'm sure they're losing a lot of sleep, too, over this. They'd want to capture this guy as soon as possible. They certainly have all the resources now with the FBI and local and state police. So I know they're doing the best they could. But hopefully down the road, they'll be able to refine some of the public pronouncements they're making and just focus right in on that investigation. Have private meetings with the parents. If you've got any information you don't want public, that will comfort them. And again, to encourage anyone to come forward, that is critically important because that's how a lot of these cases are solved. Somebody heard something. Remember what we used to tell people? You see something, say something. Well, somebody may have saw something and didn't say anything yet. But hopefully, if that's the case, they'll come forward. 
Absolutely. Well, great points. And let's pray that this gets solved for everybody's sake, and especially those families. It's just heartbreaking. Everyone, be sure to subscribe and also to share this podcast. Lieutenant Steve Rogers, one of the best law enforcement folks out there. So great to have you here on the show on this really important and troubling case. And also thank you also for all you do, all your decades of great service and everything you do to keep us safe, Steve. Well, thank you, Rita. And as you said, there's power in prayer. So let's seek the good Lord for some guidance, and I'm sure we'll be well. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.